My name is Molly Chenault and I'm the Public Services Librarian at the Emporia Public Library. And today is September 15th, 2020. So if you could say your name. My name is Dennis Newell. And could you tell me a little bit about yourself? <clears throat> Let's see. I was born in Hayes, Kansas. Moved to Wichita when I was too young to remember. But I did move to Emporia in 1980, so I've been here for 40 years. Out of that 40 years, uh, I've been employed mostly by the district. I've spent 37 years as a math and science teacher at the middle school and at the high school level. And after I retired, I drive a bus. I like to drive the kids to school every day, especially the three and four-year-olds to Maynard. That sounds like fun. And Dennis, when did you first hear about the coronavirus? Mm. Well, um, it, it was about the first of March, I guess. And um, I had some medical issues and, and it was really strange because I didn't know the effect that Corona would have on just simple things like seeing the doctor and, you know, you had to do video conferencing and stuff like that, which is kind of different. I mean, when you don't have a doctor that makes your knee bounce, you know, or something like that, it's kind of different. Yeah, it was just around, around the first of March, I guess. What was your reaction to it at that time? Were you worried about it? Did you think it wasn't going to be that serious? Well, you know, sometimes when you hear things in the media, sometimes things get kind of confusing. Um, you don't know really how it's going to affect you, uh, especially when it's a worldwide epidemic. You don't know what you can do to prevent it. At the beginning, it was just kind of like uh, we're, we're kind of safe. You know, our community is 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 kind of cushioned from it because we're not in a major city, uh, you know. And again, we're not really uh, we don't really have the traffic flow and the people going international like like New York City or San Francisco or Los Angeles. So, again, at the beginning, it didn't mean much to me, but that changed quickly. Over the last about six months or so. Uh, where have you kind of gotten your your news and your information, and do you feel that it's been enough or too much? There's a couple things that I always do. Of course, you know, you listen to local radio, and because you want to know about Emporia and see what's affecting Emporia, you know, I, I watch some national news. I don't watch much national news. Uh, the numbers are always interesting. Of course, it's a political issue, and, you know, TV is, is always going to present uh, different sides of, you know, what's really there, what's not there. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the big thing is uh, getting information and judging. There were, as a math teacher, I will tell you this, there were a lot of misleading graphs that they put on the TV and put in print and on the Internet. They were very, very misleading. You know, all they could talk about was the number of people dying and not the number of people who were living. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and doing a comparison to the common cold or some, how many people died from common cold or uh, remember the Hong Kong flu and the Legionnaire flu and all of those things that we've had in the past. But I mean, this is a pretty serious one because it's a virus and I understand that. So uh, it's taken a while. Again, I, I think I only know two people in six months that I have actually had COVID-19. So those numbers are very small. 
And I, I suppose it's because I don't get out very much or again, I, I, I just, there's just not big numbers. And do you have like children or extended family living in your home? Oh, no, we, my wife and I. So when did the pandemic first start to affect um, like your personal life, your daily life? Well, I was having a few chest pains. They thought it was stomach, you know, eating the wrong thing. But it turned out to be uh, the first of March when COVID came out, you know, and everybody was talking about preparing hospitals and so forth. One of the interesting things was I kept going to doctors to try to figure out what this pain in my chest was. And on the 17th of March, I found out that I was going to have surgery, a a quadruple bypass surgery on the 30th of March. That is, if they voted me serious enough to have this done, the hospitals were doing no surgeries. They, They were preparing for COVID. And so I had to go to Stormont Vale, and it was just such an eerie feeling because when I went for the prep work, uh, I had to have x-rays and different things like that test done before that. And I did that on the 22nd. And when my wife and I went there, and this is Stormont Vale, this is Topeka, and there was no one in the waiting room. And something that was supposed to take me all day, the various six to eight tests I was taking, took me three hours because I was the only one there. And the same thing happened when I finally had my uh, quadruple bypass. I was the only person on seventh floor of the hospital. And then that was pretty weird in itself. Uh, The nurses had a good time with it. I don't know if I did, but anyway. uh, So uh, it was just crazy. And I would walk, after my surgery, I would walk around and they had all these wings closed off for the, uh, the potential of, of COVID-19 patients coming in on respirators and they were all super clean. I mean, they were, mm-hmm. you know, they were all locked up. Meanwhile, I, on, it was uh, the 30th of March I got operated on. Well, on the 2nd of April, a doctor, some nurses and staff, even in intensive care, tested positive for COVID. So I was in the hospital and my wife came to see me and, and after two days, they wouldn't let her in the hospital and they wouldn't let my kids in. They wouldn't let anybody. in. So it's kind of like that was, I was quarantined. And then of course, when I went home, uh, it was funny because it was like, it was like curbside service. You know, they just kind of wheeled me out there and put me in the car and we, and we came home and it was like, no, no contact. I mean, it was just no contact. And then we were quarantined for two weeks. And actually, it became four weeks. So, but couldn't go anywhere. It's all right. Having um, some of the staff in the hospital test positive while you were there after just having a major surgery, was that a, did that concern you? Well, you know, the internet's full of facts. And, it, and I'm also a diabetic. So, they said anybody with heart disease and diabetic, if you get COVID, you have a 22% chance of dying. And I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to take that percentage. I don't know if it's true or false. I haven't really done any more research on it. But I do know that I try to stay six feet away and wear the mask and do whatever it takes. And I'll be the first in the line to take the vaccine. <laughs> I don't take the flu shot, though. 
because I took the flu shot one time and I got sicker than a dog. But this one, I will take. As like a bus driver and a community citizen, how are you feeling when uh, like the school shut down, the restaurants and the shops started closing? It's interesting. I, I'm going to tell you, my wife's a good girl. I eat more than I do. Should. So I don't mind her cooking. And I cook too. So, I mean, restaurants and stuff, that was a luxury for us to go mm-hmm. out. Uh, we do some takeout, carry out. We don't do any delivery. But the point is, you know, we found ways to cope with not going out to eat. I mean, Commercial Street Diner is just a great eat. I mean, just, but we can't take the risk. I mean, it's just a risk. Everything's a risk. And even when you go through drive through McDonald's and you get a Coke and they take their hand and put it on top of your cup and you're thinking, oh my God, I hope they didn't touch the straw, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but again, it, it's one of those things. Now let's go to bus driving. I almost retired from bus driving because at the beginning, I did not get any clear cut protocols from the district about what, what safety uh, procedures they were going to provide for the bus drivers. And it, in my perspective, I was just the same as a nurse or a doctor. I needed those same health protocols to protect me. I mean, when you see a nurse that's got a, you know, a suit on and a you know, and a face shield and, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes, we don't have any defense. Um, and, and we're going to be approaching those kids. And you can't get six foot apart in a bus when they come in the door. But the district made some things. And again, I... I have a very limited number of students because of the program. Only one eighth of my students come. Usually I drive. I mean, last year I was driving 25 to 40 kids a day. Uh, This morning I drove three, three middle school, high school kids. I drive six. I drive the midday three and four year olds to Maynard school. And I have six kids who ride that bus, but we scattered them out throughout the bus. And of course they're not coddling they don't, you know, it's, it's pretty, but everybody wears a mask. We disinfect the bus after the, it, it's more work for me. But again, I, I look at it like it's keeping me safe, keeping the kids safe. And, and it really, uh, it really is the best thing that we have. And I know that recently uh, they, they have quarantined uh, kindergarten at Walnut and, and at some other schools. And again, that's important to know just because there are some people who, still don't think COVID is anything at all. Again, you just have to take care of yourself. How do you think this semester is going to go? Do you feel um, that you have enough safety precautions to keep you and the other bus drivers like safe and healthy? Well, you know what? It, it's kind of like how many trips can you take to Walmart before you get COVID? Again, if you take it, I mean, it, it's going to happen but you got to just decrease the percentage of possibility. So, I mean, if you don't wear a mask, or, and there's still people who don't wear a mask, but the kids wear a mask, and we clean, and we do everything we can in order for the, the, the environment to be as clean as possible. Is it, I mean, it's like, you know, they have those commercials that say, Lysol cleans your toilet 99.8% of the germs. Well, there's still some germs there, you know, you know, screen or a little toilet. I mean, it just, you just can't get everything, you know, but you just have to minimize what you, and, uh, you know, if I didn't go to Blue Stem and, and Dylan, that's about the only place I go in the community anymore. So there's no need for me to go anywhere else and drive a bus. We had a lot of really big and fast changes. Was there anything that changed 
slowly over the past six months, so maybe you noticed it later down the road? The change slow. You know, one of the things that I think that changed slow was what was available at the grocery store. I think that was a I mean, toilet paper. Not that we need a lot of toilet paper, but it was just funny to see some of the stores at times at the beginning, seven pound hamburger, you know, no toilet paper, no cleaning supplies, no bleach, no anything. And last week or in Michigan, we bought ground beef 80-20 for $1.59 a pound. So, I mean, hamburgers changed. Ponestiel's had sale on hamburger. It was like two twenty nine dollars a pound. The supply and demand for food or what you would find at a grocery store or a retail store changed shortly over time. And then you seem to catch back up. So it's going to be interesting to see how far this COVID goes to see how long these ups and downs of what you can buy at the grocery store. Notice the other day they were limiting cans of tomatoes. And I don't know why. Because maybe they're not enough tomatoes. I don't know. I don't know. Usually, you know, supply and demand. I hadn't seen the tomatoes, but I did notice um, at Walmart last night that there were like the Lysol disinfecting wipes on an end cap. And there were plenty of those that there wasn't a sign that said that they were limiting them. Um, and that's a lot different from how it was in like March and April. Yeah. And you can get masks anywhere now, you know, disposables. Is there anything else about like your job situation that you're concerned about or you're, you would like to be prepared for going into the fall? I think the big, the big issue, that, and again, this is going to happen. I, I, I do listen for the Lyon County numbers mm-hmm. uh, every time they update those, and they do it every day except for the weekend. You know, I'm just worried that, especially right now, there's going to be a giant cluster somewhere because of the Labor Day weekend. People seem to ignore it. And so I, I'm imagining there's going to be a, a big influx. I mean, we're number 11 in the state of counties, number not top 10 anymore. We're number 11 though. And so I'm, I'm kind of uh, fearful that there's going to be a major increase in, in, in patients or, or positive results based on Labor Day. And I think it's going to happen every day that we have a holiday or something where people can gather. The one I'm looking forward to (laughs) is, and I heard this funny thing, how do you handle Halloween, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, somebody ought to figure out that the kids should just stand in the front yard and people should drive along and throw candy out the window. (laughs) And so it would be an easy way to do it, you know, rather than having them, you know, come and come around the neighborhood and stuff like that. I know they have a mask. Anytime we put our kids at danger, it, it's it just seems like it's not it's not a good thing to do it's it's not I, kids are not expendable i mean it's true they may not have any symptoms and stuff like that but they still don't know the long-term effects of of coronavirus and and you know it could be brains it could be lungs it could be i mean it could be anything and again even with some uh, diseases that we currently have like uh, i believe it's smallpox or something that you can get shingles later on mm-hmm. um you know, it's once it's in your body, it's going to stay there. And it just doesn't, re- I mean, it can reoccur. Again, long-term studies on that. I think the virus, I think by the end of the year, we'll have a virus. We'll, I mean, with all the great minds, there's somebody's going to have some. And uh, the interesting thing is, I believe that there's going to be a majority of people who don't take the virus. They don't. Because they just, hey, I don't need to take it, you know, it's, 
I guess it's until it hits somebody close, personally. You know, and again, I, I, I didn't go to a funeral from my wife's brother in Nebraska, and somebody at the funeral had COVID. And so that saved me from having to even quarantine. It's, you know, it's so unknown. And, and, and one of the things that I really, here it is, September the 15th, the 15th is the 15th. We really don't know any more about the coronavirus since we knew since March. Well, we do know more about it. People get sick and people die and people recover, but we don't know how to treat it any better. So when people want to start school or go back to restaurants being the way it was and do sporting events and all that, there's nothing that we've learned or can really do except put a mask on. And that's like a Band-Aid. That's not really a, a cure. And that's what concerns me is people are just tired of it. They want, you know, can you imagine what Christmas would be like or even Thanksgiving would be like if you couldn't? People are still going to do it. They're still going to go meet family and they're still going to do what they travel. And I wouldn't travel. Travel on an airline, holy smokes, just because my daughter's flown a couple of times. She said, yeah, some airlines social distance. The other ones don't. They just cram you on. My son got married in Michigan. We could have flown up there in two hours and a half. Well, we drove. It was 15 hours, but it was safer and, and it was worth it in the long run. So, you know, you make choices all the time about this and you got to say to yourself, you know, maybe I don't need to go to the store. Maybe I, I need to do this instead or wear that mask or should I have a mask on right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, hopefully if virus is in the computer. But <laughs> oh, anyway, I, I guess that's, uh, that's just one of those things where we have to kind of look back on it and say, there's nothing that's really changed. Why are we trying to move it on forward if nothing's really changed? And again, I'm waiting for the, the vaccine and, and I'm sure it's going to be, I mean, they're all the leading Companies have a Johnson and Johnson, and I mean everybody else. There's going to be a real controversy about whether people actually take it. When do you think that we will get back to what we consider to be normal, or do you think that we will? Listen, if you talk about something that's changed the U.S., this has changed it. I believe that there's a lot of things that coronavirus is going to do or has done. It's going to teach us is like meeting right here on the computer and doing teleconference. I think we're we're headed for a, a, a cashless society. I think everything's going to be remotely. I think I mean things like conferences anymore. I mean I know it's strange to watch the Chiefs football game and well they had a few people in the stand, but the Royals when you watch them, there's nobody in the stands. They got these little cardboard people there, you know. And Tony Tiger was killed by a foul ball the other day, but. It's okay because they just put some on him and, and fixed him. But yeah, there's so many changes and we're not going back. We're not, we're not going back because the advancement of technology through this entire, uh, through this entire time has uh, really escalated. And I think that the more uh, buying groceries online and, and just contacting people and, and, and doing your banking and, and buying a car, you don't even, you know, go see the car anymore. You just have it delivered to your house. You know, you can just look at it on the phone. And it's just changed America. And, and the bad thing is, this is the bad thing. This is the separation between the haves and the have not. A lot of people have internet. And a lot of people don't. And it's people who don't. That's why I really appreciate the hotspots that the libraries do. Because, you know what? I just feel like everybody should have internet. 
Bush, he weren't around in 1995 when AT&T split, and they said, oh, we'll provide internet for everybody in the world. I mean, you know, because they found out they could charge. But everybody should have that access some way, somehow, so that they can stay in tune with all the things they need to do. You know, every kid needs internet. Every, I mean, it's just like at the library, you know, they're out in the parking lot using the internet. I mean, they need that connection, that that resource. And again, I only see co- uh, coronavirus promoting more and more of technology in that, in that respect. So how has the pandemic affected your relationship with family and friends? Good question. First of all, my son lives in Lawrence and he, uh, he writes for the Kansas City Star and, and his wife is a nurse and she's in a doctor's office and her doctor was out of, out of the country when the whole corona, around the first of March. Well, really worried. So when we visit them, we wear masks the whole time, even in the house, because we don't, we don't, um, when it went that, with that deal. And they understand because of my, my medical conditions. The preschool that they send their little daughter to, uh, two of the teachers went out partying, I guess, both got corona. And so whole preschool down. And, uh, now they're reopening again with different people, but it's, it, that's just one family. Other than that, I haven't seen too many other people except my wife. I mean, we haven't seen her mother since Christmas. She lives in Nebraska. It's about five hours away. So, yeah, and she's 87 years old, I think. And so we call her, though. We call her. She, she doesn't have the technology. She doesn't have the Internet, but we call her. She calls us, and, and, and we do FaceTime with our other grandchildren in Indiana, you know, once a week or so. And, and that, again, that they won't let, we could have driven there and visited them, but they won't let us come because they're afraid. And they both work from home, and then they're very protective of the child. They don't want that child to get it, and they don't want to get it either. But So it really has isolated family, our family, at least, I mean, I, I have... Um, Two sons and a daughter, and then my wife has two sons. And so, yeah, we just don't, um, we don't get together like we, we have in the past. And it's been since Christmas is, is the last time we really got together with family. And then there's been funerals, and there's been weddings, and there's been this and that and everything else. And, you know, you got to opt out for it just because of the fact that, uh, you know, you can't go to Houston, Texas to go visit your niece's wedding because of, the possibility, you know, even, I don't know, staying in a hotel, I don't, I don't know how safe that is. I mean, you just don't know. Now we're getting into September and we're getting closer to the holiday season. That's probably going to look pretty different this year. Have you started to try to make plans or do you, do you think that you'll just stay home and try to help yourselves? Well, listen, with all the people staying home, they should have their Christmas decorations up already. You know, plans for Christmas and Thanksgiving are going to be so different just because people aren't going to travel and they're just not going to. I mean, like I said, you call them up and, and Skype with them or FaceTime with them or, or whatever, and that'll be good because then you don't have to worry about the connecting parts of your lives. I think the um, we have a place, we have another house in Alabama that we can go and quarantine. We don't know anybody there. And we enjoy the, 
outdoors and warm. Uh, we'll probably end up going down there and, and just isolate. Again, it's one of those things that, you know, even though you go, well, our other house, it's, it's not like we have to go out and go to restaurants or stuff like that. I mean, we have a house. We cook our food and, and just enjoy the, the beach and so forth. And so yeah, we just got to work around things. But Thanksgiving, yeah, Thanksgiving, we always had a big meal. We always eat Christmas Eve here at the house. And my kids always come and we open presents and stuff. But I don't see that happening this year. Uh, just because of the fact that, that just for the four or five hours that we spend together and eat and stuff like that, it's probably not, it's just not worth it. I don't know. I guess we're just going to wait and see. We'll get a virus uh, vaccine by November 1st. We'll be, we'll be good because I think all my kids will take it. And speaking of like isolation, has the pandemic had an impact on your mental health? Hmm. Good question. You know, probably... It's, it's interesting because when I first got out of the hospital, I was supposed to do what they call cardiac rehab because they touch down the chest right here, eight inches and they, you know, do that. And you lose everything. Your arms are just weak in your chest. You can't pick up five pounds, can't pick up anything. And I was supposed to go to cardiac rehab in the hospital. Well, it was all closed. It was closed. And so I got out of surgery on March 30th and they didn't open that up to the public until the week before Memorial Day. And even then the rules changed there because normally they had eight people in rehab at times and they only had four people. And so there were only four of us there, which is kind of nice. We got a lot of teal. I had to do that for 16 weeks. And so it was a long time and same people, same people. But one guy, he'd gotten his surgery in December, the last, and didn't go until May. Mm-hmm. You had to wait that long for a standard procedure. They were doing nothing, nothing as far as just, you know, like hip replacements or knee replacements or anything that didn't need immediate attention. I was going to wait when I found out on the 17th that I was going to have the surgery. I was going to wait till the summer to do it. And uh, my surgeon said, no, we're going to triage. We got a bunch of patients. We're going to triage and we're going to figure out. And, and so... Two days later, he calls me and says, you're on the list. You're that, that uh, critical. And again, what was so strange is I didn't even know anything was wrong. I didn't have a heart attack, so I didn't know anything. So I got it done. And it worked out good because then I didn't have to drive a bus because there was no school. And so I got my eight weeks of quarantine and all that other stuff done at the same time um, that I would have had to take off Work, you know, what's the important thing? Living or working, living or working. You know, you gotta ask yourself. And, and there's been some nice concessions for paying people who are quarantined and, and for those people who need to take off time to take care of their visual family members and stuff like that. Well, I know some people that are doing that. So it, um, it, it is a nice thing. Did I answer the question? What yeah, I think so. How, oh yeah, how did it affect you? Have you seen anything positive come out of like the community or just things you've seen uh, that have kind of resulted from the changes we've had to do for the pandemic? If you're talking about good or bad changes, let's talk about the good I think the good changes are kind of like people had to kind of, in a family unit, had to learn more about their family than they normally 
You know what I mean? Because, I mean, when the kids stay home from school, and I don't have any kids, but I can imagine people talking to me for them to go to school. Why? Well, we're not a babysitting service. As, as a teacher for 39 years, I understand that totally. So I guess it gave them time to really bond as a family. I know one of the things that's interesting, and this is kind of crazy, but if you've ever tried to buy, like today, try to buy an inflatable swimming pool or any kind of swimming pool, they have tripled in price because everybody must buy it or a bottom. Because, you know, it's something you can do. Normally you go to the city pool. There's no, you can't go there because it's closed. So, I mean, we have a little mini spa that paid $300 three years ago and they're $900 now. You know, it's crazy. So I think the good thing is it, it really has bonded really has bonded, or at least made them aware of each other a little bit more than, than what's going on. Some of the bad things, I really feel sorry for the small business. I tried to shop local. I called uh, a local plumbing place. I could have went to home. I called him and I said, can you do this for me? And I said, I know I'm not a big commercial person, but what I need done, you know, no problem. You know, thanks for buying locally. Again, I think that's kind of a good thing that going back to the good is we've come to more appreciate more the local businesses as well and the, the type of service that they, and so you got to be a little creative at times and, and kind of wonder. The bad thing is also the fact that the smaller uh, businesses are going out of business, you know, and then that's bad because, you know, when it becomes, everybody likes their little niche and sometimes there's a store that just really, you know, you really, really like, and all of a sudden it's not there. I did notice that, you know, JCPenney's was going out of business, but now they're buying them back. So it's maybe, you know, my wife likes to shop at JCPenney's. Anyway, it's the only clothing store in town, really, you know. But but the idea of losing businesses and, and, and as such, it just makes me uh, wonder how much of that's going to affect the economy in the long run. Uh, again, we need small business just as much as we need large business. A small community like Emporia, that there's nothing like getting that service, that you know, that that quality of product that you are going to be happy with, and that down the road you can come back and say, "I need some help here," and they're going to give it to you. So um, that's that's probably the good thing that, uh, or the bad thing. I mean, we still have some good businesses still here, but the bad thing is we're going to lose more if, if there's not a cure for this thing. And uh, again, we don't know the long range. We wish we could pick the ending date when, when this thing was all over, but who knows? Like I said, I, I look forward to a vaccine because I think a vaccine, and again, it's, it's going to be a three-phase vaccine is what I think. It's either going to be that it makes you resistant or it cures you or it's, what was the third one I was thinking of today? But, uh, resistant cures you or, or... Uh, it maintains you. You know, you've already had COVID and it's going to keep it from reoccurring because they've had reoccurrences of people with COVID because it keeps mutating. That's what happens a lot of times. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we wrap up for today? I just appreciate the public library doing what they're doing. I think, uh, like I said, the mobile hotspots and books and, and you know, it's, it's funny because I think the entire concept of what our society is has allowed 
people to think outside the box. And, you know, when you talk about a building, my son, Kansas City Star, they decided they don't need a building anymore. They can work from home. Same as my other son and son-in-law in Indiana. They work for Cummins Diesel. They can do all their work because it's all technology, all on work, all online. And the thing about it is people keep thinking even a library is the same way. A library is just a building, but it can be expanded just like a restaurant. All of a sudden you have drive-through, you have carry-out, you have all this other stuff, and it just becomes part of the new system of what a library is supposed to represent. Think about how many carryouts like Pizza Hut has now versus when they had before because people don't want to go inside or can't go inside. Well, the library can't go inside. Well, you have to limit it. But the idea is people have to stop thinking about buildings and start thinking about all of the other things that they can do that will help people or what their mission is. And so I, uh, I really think that, like I said, if people want access to food or knowledge or anything, they can get it because that's what the pandemic has done. It's changed the world of technology to allow people to get those things only if you have technology. Dennis, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you uh, taking the opportunity to talk to us for this project. You're welcome. I'm very happy to do it.